Welcome to Stay Gold, an Outsiders podcast. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I am joined as always by... Esme Mulberry. Uh, what we are doing, we are watching our way through the 2005 release of The Outsiders, a complete novel by Francis Ford Coppola. But we're watching it in five-minute segments, taking deep dives into each segment, comparing it to the book. Um, so we have made it up to the 30-minute mark. Uh, and Esme, I would say we've kind of reached the point where the movie is starting to take off at this point. Uh, there's been a lot of table setting, a lot of introducing characters, themes, uh, but it's been pretty slow in terms of action, and that's going to change in mm-hmm. this episode. So far, it feels like just it's been a lot of kind of conversations between people and not a lot of actual action happening. Yep, table setting, but we're going to eat in this meal. <laughs> uh, before we get into the 30 to 35 minute point in the movie, can you share a little bit of previously on Stay Gold? Okay, so in the last five minutes... Ponyboy, Johnny, and Tubit are walking back from the movies with Marsha and Cherry, and then Bob and Randy come in a car and are trying to, like, get him in the car and bring him back to, like, where they live. And eventually they do. Um, but there's kind of a fight that almost starts, but then Cherry stopped it. But there were, like, kind of... There were tensions. Yeah, there was tension. Um, and then... Walking back home, um, Ponyboy decides he doesn't want to quite go home yet, so he and Johnny go out into the lot, um, and they're talking, and they accidentally fall asleep, and they sleep too long, and then Ponyboy wakes up and realizes um, he has, he'll has he come home later than he was supposed to. Right, so that's where we pick up mm-hmm. as they're in the lot. Uh, Johnny has just woken Ponyboy up from his bizarro dream about his parents' death. And this is where really the 30-minute mark picks up. So let's mm-hmm. jump into the summary. Um, so we have Ponyboy and Johnny in the lot after waking up. Uh, and Pony tells Johnny to come to his house if he gets cold. So Ponyboy's going to leave Johnny in the lot. Although that doesn't that's not as harsh as it sounds because this is where Johnny sleeps a lot of the time, right? Yeah. Um, then he starts to walk home and he's sort of wondering to himself, like, what is Derry going to say? He's pretty distraught. He's upset at himself because mm-hmm. he knows he's, he's, um, disappointed his brother and done something he wasn't supposed to do. And we've already seen established that Derry accuses him of, you know, not thinking, not paying attention to things. Right. Yeah. All right. So then Ponyboy slowly walks up to his house. And we can see through the windows that Derry is on the phone. And um, you can tell, if you listen closely, you can tell that he's um, on the phone trying to figure out where Ponyboy is. Um, I found this really interesting because in the book, he's not talking on the phone. He's just sitting there reading the paper. And, like, I don't fully understand who he would be calling. I mean, potentially he could be calling... Two bit, he could be calling uh, Steve. Right? I mean, like, like, yeah. like other sort of because those folks have houses and those houses have phones. So yeah, I don't know. My thought is just like if I don't know, it's just always confusing to me who he was calling because he wouldn't know for sure who would be home and who wouldn't. And it, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my guess is he's calling his closest friends and Pony's closest friends. I'm guessing he's not calling Johnny's house, but he's probably calling two bit Steve, people Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, so we see him on the phone, uh, and then we see that Soda has also been waiting up, um, but Soda seems to be maybe dozing a little bit more on the couch. Mm-hmm. I-, I like this scene because if we pay attention, we see their they're two different approaches to how they think about kind of parenting pony boy, mm-hmm. you know, soda and dairy have very different approaches to that. Um, so dairy, uh, when pony walks in, dairy is upset because it's 2 AM. Uh, and soda kind of just asks him calmly, Hey pony, where you been? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's like, he's still interested, but, but dairy's angry. And soda's just like rolling with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see the shot of Pony walking through the house and Derry is right on him. It's like Pony doesn't want to talk and Derry's, Derry wants to, wants to sort of interrogate this, um, a little bit more. Pony, uh, is explaining, you know, that he was in the lot and with Johnny and he fell asleep. Um, and Pony tries to go into the bathroom and Derry like holds it so the door won't close so he can sort of, cause he's basically, he's not done with this. Uh, and Derry mentions that he can't even call the cops. Because the two, he says the two of you would be thrown into a boy's home so fast it would make your head spin. Mm-hmm. So again, we're seeing uh, Derry as the um, really as the parental figure. He's the, he's the adult in the house, and he is from his point of view. He's trying to hold the family together, and he doesn't think that uh, that uh, Pony's being responsible. Yeah. Um, I also say that, like, in the book, this scene plays off very differently. It's much more emotional because when Ponyboy first walks in, he's, like, in a total panic, kind of backed up against the wall, like, is afraid to say what happened. He's, like, really kind of nervous and embarrassed about it. And then Derry responds with the same amount of anger. So it does make Derry seem more scary and more mean to him because Ponyboy seems so afraid. And then, like, bef- like Ponyboy also then, like, kind of starts crying out of anger because he's mad that Derry's mad at him. So, like, in the book, this scene plays off way more emotional. Which do you like better? I mean, do you think this, do you think the movie's not as effective as the book when it comes to that? Well, for different reasons, I think they both work because in the book... It then makes Ponyboy seem really, like, over-emotional at times. And there's even a part where he talks about, like, he doesn't cry that much, but it also seems like he does cry a lot. Yeah. Um, he definitely seems more afraid of Derry. This pony, we hear him say, what is Derry going to say? But he doesn't seem all that afraid of yeah. Derry. So it works off a little better in the movie that way just because, like, his character seems less um, like overly emotional and you kind of aren't not exactly annoyed but like you kind of think of him as a little more of a rational thinking person yeah i mean he's i would say he seems cooler and i don't mean cool like the fonz is cool i mean like (laughs) colder maybe a little bit like like he's just trying to be kind of matter of fact about it although we know inside he's got these other things kind of bubbling Mm -hmm. but he tries to play it off in a kind of yeah. cooler, colder way. But then the problem with that versus the book is then in the book when Derry reacts the way he does, it seems really like like a really big overreaction because Ponyboy seems so afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does, it makes Derry's character seem more like Ponyboy tries to get you to believe that he is, like he's this mean person who like doesn't get him and wants to kind of control him. 
so in like in different ways they both work and serve different purposes sure sure um but i don't really know which one i like more yeah they I mean they've definitely dialed it differently here so um so 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 we're so ponies in the bathroom they're all talking soda walks up there and soda again it's interesting he's like hey pony boy let's let's just all go to bed he's trying to diffuse the situation you know much the way we saw cherry try to diffuse the situation uh, mm-hmm. before right um so he's trying to he, he that that's sort of his approach to this um and pony says you know i i didn't mean to fall asleep and Derry says, I didn't mean to. I forgot. That's all I ever hear from you. You know, and, and, and this feels like an echo of what we heard earlier in the, the last time we saw Derry, right? It's more of the, you don't think, you don't, like, like he has these sort of refrains that, that it feels like these are the only things Pony ever hears him say. Now, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's the only thing he says, but they, the only thing that Pony's hearing yeah. that Derry says. So he thinks, he thinks Derry is only sort of, disappointed at him and upset at him. Um, so then Soda tries to intervene and we see Derry snap at him. I think this is really effective, right? That that Derry's attention is at, it's, it's, it's kind of well laid out on the screen because you have Soda on the left, you have Derry in the middle and Pony has crossed over to the right mm-hmm. and Derry is talking to Pony. But then when Soda, when Soda interjects, Derry... It's like he gets escalated and snaps at Soda, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and I mean, it's all Soda's trying to do is, like, calm people down. Um, and uh, so, so you know, Soda's trying to, like, defend or Pony a little bit. And Derry turns uh, – or, excuse me, Ponyboy tries to defend Soda, right? Because Derry snaps at him. Ponyboy tries to defend Soda just with his words – and then Derry snaps back to Pony. So then from the left back to the right and like shoves him. Mm-hmm. Right. And and shoves him to the ground. Yeah. Right? Pony boy is on the ground at this point. Because Derry's a big, strong guy. Mm-hmm. Now we sh- should say this is Patrick Swayze. Um, and if we're thinking about the age of these people, um, you know, most of the actors in this are in their late teens, early 20s. Uh, Swayze's like 30, 31 in this movie. Yeah, so he's he is, 31. Yeah, so he's significantly older. And he, I mean, and, and he is like a full on man, you know, yeah. in terms of like, uh, like a big kind of powerful body. So it's believable that that shove and that shove out of frustration mm-hmm. would put Pony Boy on the ground. Um, it's also interesting in the book, he slaps him, which I get why they did that in the movie. They had him shove him because it seems. Like, you could do it more easily and have people not get hurt, basically. Well, it also seems... The shove seems sufficiently violent, though. Yeah. It's not like uh, he just kind of, you know... Remember earlier, uh, I think it was in the last episode, we talked about how 2-Bit, like, just barely kind of shoves Pony Boy. Yeah. This is not what this is. Yeah, this this is is not what this is. This is like a full arm extension shove... And and again, he goes to the ground. That would hurt, yeah. and it would be scary. Mm-hmm. It's it's just in the book because it's a slap, and he also like full on goes to the ground. In my head, that's probably more of a powerful hit, and that's also like slapping someone versus pushing them. Slapping them seems a lot more aggressive to me, and it's definitely like he hit him. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, to me, to me, it's six of one half dozen the other. Like, like, like this is it. It 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 fulfills its function in terms of making Derry seem potential. Like, like at least he is this coiled violence and scariness. What's interesting is we talked about kind of the coiled nature of Two Bit in our last episode, right? Mm-hmm. How he snaps into action, ready to fight Bob and Steve. It's like you see that same thing in Derry at this moment. Like he gets frustrated and he does that same sort of snap into action, but it's against his brother, um, mm-hmm. at, you know, at this point. Um, now, what's interesting is Pony gets up off the ground and runs outside of the house. And we see Derry, if we're listening carefully, we hear him sort of protest and apologize. Yeah. And did you notice the words he uses? Doesn't he say I didn't mean to? Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting because that was his his argument against Pony Boy. He's like, it's always I didn't mean to, I forgot. And mm-hmm. now you have Derry saying within forty five seconds of him criticizing Pony for that, saying I didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's like a really smart line. Um, it, also, in the book, it plays off a little differently because it's like after Pony Boys left the house, he says it. But in the movie, it's like a right away he says it. So I think it almost in that way is a little bit more powerful in the movie because then it's like that's his first reaction is to say that. Yeah, I mean, so so it it feels like a, you know, he kind of wasn't thinking about his own strength at that moment. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the, the, the thing to think about, though, is like I don't want to totally dismiss that because in a domestic violence situation, that's the thing that sometimes happens, right, is that. You have somebody who is physically more powerful and in the course of an argument, right, they use that physical power mm-hmm. and it it's not an excuse to just be like, I, I wasn't thinking, I'm sorry. You know, like, I mean, that that ma- that matters, yeah. but it is like, you know, this, this, I'll put it this way. This reads differently in a 1983 movie about 1965 than it would in 2022. Yeah. You know, thinking about like. Like, like we would think about this more in terms of a domestic violence situation, which to a degree, like, I'm sure Derry is afraid of that kind of stuff too, right? Like, yeah. he knows that this family being held together is tenuous um, because of those things. Now, we need to say one other filmmaking thing, because uh, as we were preparing for this, we rewatched uh, not only this five minutes in the in the outsiders the complete novel but also the 1983 theatrical release mm-hmm. and there is a great music sting when um when dairy pushes pony this like I, I tried to figure out what song it was but I, I tried, even tried to shazam it and I couldn't get it it's some sort of it, it's it's a um it kind of sounds like a surf rock song like a Dale dare uh, uh um uh why can't I think of his name? It just um, popped out of my head. Um, uh, uh, Dick Dale. Dick Dale guitar riff mm-hmm. um, kind of song. It sounds very much like something Tarantino would use in, in Pulp Fiction. But, like, it hits right as Pony hits yeah. the floor. And then it keeps playing. And that's a it's a really great music track underneath the scenes we see following this. Mm-hmm. And when we, and I, so as we were watching it, I was curious, like what couple, cause I don't remember that music in the 1983 cut. Yeah. We went back to the 83 cut and it is not great. It's not good. I mean, it is, it is the Carmine Coppola score. It's orchestral. And it seems very weird to see Pony like running out of the house and running down the screen, 
the street to this like orchestral score. It's very yeah, strange. It's and it's not even like if you have the subtitles on, it says like dramatic music, but it's really not that dramatic. Like it's also like kind of quiet it at the same time. It feels incongruent somehow. Yeah, yeah with it's, what's happening. It's a really weird thing. It makes you feel weird. And like when in the longer version when it has the like kind of more upbeat music you feel way more in the moment with what happened and like you feel almost like more invested well it's not upbeat it's up tempo yeah it's up tempo and like yeah i don't know it just makes you feel really invested and the other one just it takes you out of the moment you're like why is this the song that's playing and it's very confusing and there's something haunting sometimes about and this is why i think tarantino's drawn to it about like the the kind of Dickdale surf guitar music can can have sort of a haunting feel. Yeah. And this definitely has this as he's running through these dark streets once he leaves the house. Um so I just think it's it's deeply effective. Now I'd be curious, I kind of want to go back and listen to the score of um Gone with the Wind cuz that's what Carmine Coppola was inspired by because Gone with the Wind plays this thematic role in this in this movie. Yeah. So I'd be, I'd be curious to be like are there moments in Gone with the Wind that have this type of score? Because that's what he's going for. But it it just doesn't fit, and it and it so obviously doesn't fit when you hear the updated music on it, and you're like, oh, yeah. this is right. You know, like that just feels like it always should have been that. Mm-hmm. So we have Pony uh, running out of the house, and then we see him uh, running through the streets, and he runs to the lot. And basically trips over the sleep a sleeping Johnny. I like that's a yeah. weird, it's a weird choice that that he because tri- does he trip over him or trip as he gets to him? That's what I can't quite figure out. I know, like it is a hard thing to kind of tell what he's doing. Or is he like jumping on him to wake him up? Like, like it's yeah, he definitely goes a, to the ground though. Yeah, or it's like he I don't know he like purposely goes to the ground to try to wake him up but like maybe stumbled while trying to do it i don't know yeah yeah i i kind of like the idea that he trips over johnny just because it's like he's so much like just not thinking in this moment that he either yeah. like kind of forgets to stop or forgets to kind of look where johnny is yeah that 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 seems to make sense to me so um he announces to Johnny that they are running away, which mm-hmm. is interesting. It's not I'm running away, but because I think, I mean, as we saw from Johnny's uh, uh, home life, I think Johnny's on the brink of running away at any moment anyhow. So yeah. Pony's like, okay, I'm with you. We're going. Yeah. Um, so then the two of them uh, start, you know, start running together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so then we see them running, running until, uh, Johnny is out of breath, right? Which I kind of like this, that Johnny's the one who, who's out of breath. Cause it should be because if we know from the book, Pony is a, he's a track star. Yeah. So he shouldn't, he should be fast and he shouldn't be out of breath. But we know that, that Johnny is, they're both smokers, but Johnny's sort of <laughs> only a smoker. Yeah. So, so he can't go as far. Um, so they pull up and they, they start to talk. Um, and, uh, Ponyboy is, is sitting there crying, right? And this is, I think in this sequence, this is really the first time we see him cry, right? He cries at the beginning when he gets jumped. No, no, in this sequence. Oh, in this sequence? Like he hasn't, he hasn't, he didn't cry when he got home. Like, like in the Yeah, this is the first time you see him cry in this part, um, 
in the book it's like he's kind of crying throughout this whole thing and this is when he like really starts crying mm-hmm. so it's like it follows the book but with more downplayed emotion yeah yeah so johnny gives pony a cigarette and pony explains what happened he says i swear we used to get along just fine till mom and dad died now he can't stand me mm-hmm. and johnny responds I think I like it better when the old man's hitting me. At least he knows I'm there. Now, these are book lines, right? Yeah, except for this conversation goes on for a lot longer. Because after Johnny says that, he's, like, no, like talking about then living in his house. Like, how no one notices when he comes and goes. And, like, no one gives him any acknowledgement. And then he says, like, yeah, I don't have anyone. At least you have soda pop. Like, I don't have anyone. And then Pony was like, well, you have the whole gang. And then... Johnny says, like, well, it's not the same as having parents who care about you. So it makes me a little sad that they cut out the rest of that conversation because it's like it really shows Johnny's character and then kind of brings in the message like about family. I th- Yeah, but I think I think the the part about his family, I think we get with with this one line. I think the the part about the greasers being a family. You're right. We kind of we kind of yeah. miss that. Um, but. Again, I get that cut too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so then, w- the thing that we don't have though is we don't have Johnny trying to talk Pony out of running away. And yeah. in the book, there's a bit more of that, right? Like mm-hmm. he's trying to be like, "Well, at least you. I mean, you have soda. What about? Yeah, you know, yeah. Because because the as we saw in the last five minutes, the greasers stick up for each other. So mm-hmm. you know, um, so so we don't get that. Um, and then Pony suggests that they walk to the park and back to see if he can cool off enough to get to to get himself to go back home. So it's like Pony's trying to talk himself out of running away at this point. Yeah. He's like, let's just let, let me settle down and let me think about this. Um, so as they walk into the park, it's a pretty cool shot. We see them walking kind of towards towards camera left across the screen. And as they get out of frame... There's a, there's the street behind them, it kind of yeah. dying in the background, and all of a sudden you see the blow the blue Mustang slowly rolling up the street. Um, so there's this sort of uh, menace that uh, that that is is coming for them. Um, so that that's pretty well done, I think. Um, so then we uh, we see this pretty cool shot of Pony and Johnny's feet walking. And in the very back of that, you can see the the car start to roll up behind them, and it takes a while till they notice. Yeah, you know, till they notice the car, um, because it is sort of moving slowly and quietly, and they're kind of in their own heads a little bit, mm-hmm. um, thinking about this. Uh, and uh, Pony and Johnny climb up, climb up on top of uh, the monkey bars in the park to have a smoke, and we see the Mustang start to drive up behind them, or like. Drive up behind the monkey bars, uh, and, and uh, Johnny points out the car. Uh, we see the Mustang, and the Pony comments that this is our territory. And Johnny says, "I bet they're looking for us." So they, I mean, they know yeah. who it is. They know this is the continuation of of what we saw in the last five minutes. Um, and and Johnny asks Pony if he wants to to run or if he wants mm-hmm. to split. And Pony just tells him to stay cool. Okay, this is a lie that bothers me in the movie because in the book, at least, the response, for one thing, it's Pony Boys, like, should be run. And Johnny responds with, there's not enough time, 
which I like better because the stay cool response is like, okay, now you're just being stupid. Like, don't just sit there, like, try to get away. Yeah, or, well, okay, let's let's get into the psychology of mm-hmm. this. Um, clearly, Pony and Johnny don't think that the two of them can take on what we'll see is five Soshas. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe he's thinking, okay, we'll take him on. And we'll probably get e- either one of two things will happen. Either we'll win and we'll show we can hold our own, or if we get beat up, that'll show Derry. Yeah, I mean, like, 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 I could see this as like a way to punish Derry. Almost <laughs> again, like we're getting maybe too into the heads of the characters mm-hmm. a little bit, but it does make sense, you know. Um, or or it's just another version of there's no time to run. So let's yeah. just play it cool and see if we can talk our way out of this. It also bothers me too. Cause even in the book, I was like, I think you guys could run because like they have a pretty, cause by the time they kind of said like, should we run? The guys aren't out of the car yet. Right. And mm-hmm. they could run in a way where the car couldn't follow them. Well, like kind of run through backyards and through like sure. other lots and stuff. And like, I don't, like I don't know. It just bothers me because I feel like they could run. It also if they okay, wanted there, there, to. There's also this. There's also, I mean, I think that the comment about territory matters. Yeah. You know that maybe they're like, you know what? If if we were if we were in Soch territory, maybe you run. But if you're in your own, if you're in your own territory, like you stand up for. You. I, I'm I'm just trying to think yeah. about kind of what the what the reasoning might be there. Um, so we see a, a drunken Bob and his friends stumble out of the car. And as we pointed out, there's now five of them. Now, in the previous scene, we hear that there, we know that there's Randy and Bob and then two more in the back seat. So somewhere between now and then, they picked up uh, a fifth guy. And the interesting thing is in the book, they say there's four in the back seat, but then there's also five guys when they come and, like, attack him. So it's an interesting thing that, like, the movie bothered to change how many were in the back seat, but the amount that's jumping them is still the same. Yeah, yeah. And that's just like at that point, just say there's four guys in the back. I kind of like I kind of like the um, the fact that the number is different than it was earlier mm-hmm. because the movie probably let's say the movie gets out at eleven. Yeah. Right. We're a solid probably three and a half hours later at this point because mm-hmm. it's well past two a.m. So like. They've had a whole evening. They've clearly brought the girls home, picked up another friend, and now they're just out rolling around, potentially looking for a fight. Yeah. You know, and maybe look and really looking for this fight specifically. So I kind of like the detail of the fifth friend. Um, we see a shot of Johnny's eyes looking, and then we see a, a close up shot of Bob's ringed fingers holding the flask. And this time Johnny tells Pony it's the guy with the rings. So yeah. like 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 he knew that before but didn't say anything, but now he's telling Pony. I think sort of to say like we should be really careful cuz this is the guy who did this to me. Mm-hmm. Um Uh so then we see Johnny again standing up for his territory says you're out of your territory, you guys better watch it. And Randy says no pal, you better watch it. <laughs> I don't know why, but it kind of makes me laugh. Because it's the kind of thing your mom would say. Yeah, right? just, yeah I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a fake tough guy comeback. 
Uh, we get an in, we get these like individual stare down close ups of Johnny, then Bob, then Pony, then Johnny, um, kind of building up the tension. Yeah. Um, and then we see Johnny and Pony climb down from the monkey bars. Uh, and uh, I know this is a book line because it's this is one of those that's really awkward. Yeah. Um, and it's and this is not the movie's fault, other than the movie decided to keep this. But as they're kind of staring each other's down, Bob says, "You guys know what greasers are? White trash with long greasy hair." It sounds like he's like, gonna make some kind of joke, and he's just like. An observation? <laughs> yeah. And then it's a funny thing in the book, too, because it plays both this up and what Ponyboy's going to say next is, like, these big insults. And it's like, really? Yeah. Like, it's kind of on the nose, right? Yeah. Like, yep. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of an accurate statement. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. So it's, it's and, then, and then he throws some of the booze from his flask onto Pony, which, again, is strange because that seems like a little bit of, a, you know, waste. Um, Ponyboy returns the insult and says... You know what a soch is? White trash with Mustangs and Madras. And he spits at Bob. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I mean, he returns the, like, um, he throws the liquor at him to he spits at him. So we have fluids going either way. <laughs> um, and when he says this, uh, we get another needle drop of the Marquette's uh, Out of Limits starts playing. Mm-hmm. So this is also a uh, an addition to the complete novel cut. Uh, and again, in the complete novel, you get a Carmine Coppola score, which is not nearly a, this this Marquette song is so great and haunting and energetic for yeah. the, for the fight that ensues and and what what you have in the 83 cut is again this like orchestral score which seems so very strange to like the gang fight that's happening yeah it's it's a very it's a really weird experience to watch with the orchestral score because so much of it's like this just feels weird and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I think especially once you've heard the 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 Marquette song, it's like, oh, this is. In fact, I encourage people to go and and watch both of these scenes, and it's maybe the perfect distillation of how just changing the music dramatically changes this movie. Yeah. Um. So at this point, Pony and Johnny start to run. And the Soshas pursue them on foot. Um, and they catch them by a fountain in the park. Uh, Johnny is thrown to the ground and kicked by two of the Soshas, while the other three, which including Bob and Randy, grab Pony and start to push his head under the water of the fountain. Mm-hmm. So in the book, this is just a little different, just kind of the places that they are. Because when the Soshas like, first come, Ponyboy and Johnny are already at the fountain. And oh, then, okay. like, that makes more sense. Yeah, it makes a little bit more sense because then in the other one, it's like they kind of run and get a distance, at li- like a little bit. So it's then it makes it seem like earlier they could have run and got away. Where in the book, it's like he runs like two steps and then they get him. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like the Soshas are surrounding them; they have the opportunity to run. Yeah. Here. Um, so they're pushing Pony's head under the water. The two other Soshas that <clears throat> were with Johnny leave him lying on the ground and walk over to the fountain. And we see um, Johnny, a close-up of him, uh, starting to pull the switchblade out of his back pocket. So he had been sort of uh, touching it before, and now he pulls yeah. it out. Um, and we see the Soshas now are all wrestling with Pony. 
pushing his head under the water. They're pouring beer over him. Uh, the struggle goes on for several seconds. There's a lot of just like wrestling at the fountain. Um, and we get this uh, overhead shots, close-ups, underwater shots of Pony Boy's face as he's struggling for air. And we cut back to the it's it's actually a really well-framed shot of this this uh, the the fight at the fountain happening in the background, and Johnny is laying in the foreground, and we see him start to slowly get up, holding the knife with the blade out. And that's where the five minute ends. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of stuff in this just that I don't. It's like weird things that they do that it doesn't make sense in my mind with the characters. Because it's weird to me that the two guys kind of, you know, like kick Johnny, leave him on the ground and then walk away and just leave him there when like he can get up. And then but they, they think they've beaten him. I mean, they, they, yeah. I mean, like, like I, I, that stuff all works. You know, if if they had also seen the movie and read the book, and they were soldiers or something, they would know not to do that. But these are kids who are yeah. arrogant. They've they've beaten this kid. They've beaten him before. They've kicked him while he's on the ground, and they tell him to stay down. They think they're invincible. Yeah. This is what you're seeing is hubris out of out of the socias there. Mm-hmm. But then the part of it too is that then they go over to the other group and just stand there and kind of watch. But that's the interesting thing. Yeah, like, like they're 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 watching the other guys taunt this kid, mm-hmm. and you know they have obviously they have no intent to actually. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. I assume they have no intent to actually murder him. But they want to get him as close to it as they can to really mess him up. Yeah. And so they want to – what fun is it to sit there and look at this kid lying on the ground? You want to go see the show. I mean, I, I really yeah. think that's what it is. And that to me, that stuff echoes real kind of human animal reactions to things, you know, that you want to go see the see the thing that's happening. But they all have their back to Johnny. They mm-hmm. think – basically, they think they've defeated him. Yeah, but – then the other thing about it too is then with Johnny, the amount of time it takes him to get up is like have a sense of urgency, please. Like it takes him a while because you see him take in the movie, like you see him take the knife out of his pocket. Then it's seriously like a 30 second thing of yeah, then I shots of them drowning Pony Boy and then he gets up. I think that's cinema. I yeah. think that, that is that is dramatic effect. I don't think I don't think we should be like clocking this in real time and being like, why did it's just like, like, I think it is the, it is the dramatic slow build up to, to the inevitable. Yeah. Right? Because, because we are, I mean, stopping right here, anybody who knows this story, we are on the precipice of the real, really the inciting incident that's going to push the rest of this story forward. There's going to be something that happens. It's going to involve this knife, right? And it's like so. So we've walked right up to it, um, and I. So I think good good filmmaking won't necessarily represent the realities of time, but it would represent maybe the experience of of it. You know, where it feels like things are moving in slow motion. Yeah. So that there's just that dramatic tension being built. I think you got to give them that. Yeah. I just think that it's they not a documentary. Yeah, they could have done it a little different, where like they showed some of those shots of them drowning Pony Boy, then they show Johnny with the knife, then they show a little like so it's just a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. and then they show him getting up because it seems like a long time. There's also the chance that he is in a great deal of pain. 
I don't know if you've yeah. ever been beaten up and kicked in the stomach. You don't necessarily just spring right up. He might just me. He has he has the kind of this movement of a a wounded animal a little bit too. I actually think it's great. I I, okay. I, yeah. I, I sort of defend this as a piece of storytelling. I think the tension builds pretty great, mm-hmm. and then and we'll we'll get the payoff in the next five minutes. Um. So well, let's let's move to book corner. Are there other sort of pieces of the book? Uh, that are different or that that jump out at you honestly not really because this five minutes everything that happens happens in the book and most of the lines are word for word the only thing they really change is like where they start in the park like where they're sitting and Mm -hmm. that's just like it makes a little less sense but like it works but but the uh the monkey bar shot is cool it is i mean i think part of it is that too is that the camera feels like it's up in a tree looking down on them and then looking down onto the car from there. Like, um, my guess is there's a little bit of that, too. Like, Yeah, I think it's part of that, too. This, I will say, this section looks great. It does. Yeah. And then the other thing that they change is just it is, like, the emotions are a little more downplayed except for the emotion of anger. Um, But honestly, in some ways, I like that a little bit more. Because it makes the character of Ponyboy a little bit more likable and just kind of less annoying in some ways. Because yeah. sometimes in the book, it's like, he, again, like he says, like, he doesn't cry that much. And then it's like, yeah, but you also cry a lot. Right, right. So it just makes it make a little bit more sense. I think this is a pretty good five minutes for giving me what I pictured when I read this. If I can remember reading the book the first time. This looks an awful yeah. lot like what I was imagining in my head. In the same way that I feel like the uh, drive-in movie theater looks like what I was picturing, this basically looks like what I was picturing. Yeah. So, so I think that's I think that's a, a big positive. So, if you were to score this on a scale of zero to ten in terms of fidelity to the book, what where would we be putting this? Honestly, like a really high score, like a nine, because most of the lines are again like word for word. Even the awkward, do you know what a greaser is? Do you know what a yeah, social is? Yeah, even that, word for word. Yeah, so I guess fans of the book would like that, but on their own, they're they're pretty rough. Yeah, and then- It the, turns out these characters just aren't actually that funny. <laughs> I know, and in the book, it's even worse because it's like, Ponyboy's like, talks about how it made him really mad, even though he gets insulted all the time, like, that really hurt him. It's like, Why? I think if you had asked Ponyboy to describe a greaser, for one of the things, he would have said long, greasy hair. Yeah, and that's he a, says that's, a, that's that. a point of pride for them. Yeah. So I guess the white trash, I mean, white trash is a, like, that is an insult, but, um, but and yeah. It, it's funny, too, because in the book, they insult him more and say things that I think are even more hurtful, but that's what's like, nope. Yep, yep. So who who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So, so we're giving that a nine out of ten? Yeah. All right, should we do a deep dive? Sure. All right, so uh, for this deep dive, I want to I want to dive into somebody who um, we've seen once so far in this movie. We're we're gonna see him again towards the end of the movie, um, and that is the person who plays uh, Derry Curtis, uh, Patrick Swayze. Now I'm gonna ask you. I should be doing this more when we do these deep dives. Like, what do you know of Patrick Swayze going into this? Pretty much nothing. Okay, okay. So, uh, as we mentioned earlier, he's um, older than a lot of the other actors in this. He's born in Houston, Texas uh, in 1952. So, he is, he's actually from closer to the area where this book is set. 
notice a lot of the actors we've talked about so far are from either either were born in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area, or the New York area. I mean, he actually he's from Houston, which is southern Texas, but that's not as far from Oklahoma as some of these other places. Um, as a young man, he displayed great athletic prowess, trained in ice skating, dance, ballet, martial arts, and played football. Um, so you can tell he's a pretty athletic person. Yeah. Um, and part of this comes from his training. Um, he had a knee injury in high school that kept him from earning a football scholarship, so he dedicated his energies towards dance. In 1972, at the age of 20, he moved to New York City to complete his formal ballet training. So, I mean, he is a trained as a professional dancer. Uh, he makes his film debut in 1979 in the roller disco movie Skate Town USA. So I know just I know that <laughs> sentence makes you and your mom want to watch this movie. I kind of want to watch this movie, just a, a movie about roller disco. Uh, he had a few small TV roles in the early 80s, uh, but he caught the uh, attention of the entertainment industry when he was cast as Derry Curtis in The Outsiders uh, when he was in his early 30s. Um, so this was this was actually a big role for him in terms of kind of, you know, breaking out and being seen. Uh, so that was 83. In 84, he starred with C. Thomas Howell, so with Pony Boy, in the, in the film Grandview USA, and with C. Thomas Howell in the film Red Dawn, which also starred Darren Dalton, the guy who plays Randy Anderson. So Swayze keeps being in films with his, uh, with his Outsiders uh, co-stars for a while. Uh, in 85, he's in the popular Civil War TV miniseries, North and South. Uh, in 86, he teams up with Soda Pop, uh, Rob Lowe, in the hockey movie film uh, Young Blood. And then 87, his career really explodes. In 1987, he stars uh, in the film Dirty Dancing. Uh, this was a, a pretty low-budget film. It cost f- uh, $4.5 million uh, to make. And it went on to earn over two hundred and fourteen million dollars. So that's quite a that's a quite a positive investment, right? Mm-hmm. Spend four and a half, earn uh, two hundred and fourteen. Uh, he earned a Golden Globe nomination for his role, and he had a song uh, in the on the soundtrack, uh, "She's Like the Wind," which reached number three on the Billboard Hot One Hundred. So big year for Swayze there. <sighs> So we said Leaf Garrett's best song finished uh, number ten on the Hot One Hundred. Swayze made it to number three. Wow. Uh, In 1990, he earned his second Golden Globe nomination for his role in the film Ghost, which was nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture, and won two. Ghost was also the highest-grossing film of 1990, earning $505 million on a $23 million budget. So um, so Swayze is in two huge box office successes at this point. Um, In 1990, he also hosted Saturday Night Live. Uh, and starred alongside Chris Farley in one of the show's most iconic sketches, the Chippendales audition. Have you ever seen this sketch? No, but I feel like I've heard it mentioned. Yeah, we'll watch it after this because okay. it's because uh, uh, it, it is it is if you, if you ever saw a list of like the the greatest SNL sketches of all time, this if it's this is this is always in the top five. This is mm-hmm. often the number one greatest sketch in SNL history. Um, so. Uh, it seems like a small thing to be like, yeah, he was in this five-minute thing on SNL, but it was it was huge at the time. Uh, in 1991, uh, he creates another iconic role playing Bodhi in the movie Point Break. 
1995, he earns his third Golden Globe nomination for his role in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. So a really successful movie career, uh, big box office job, um, you know, nominated for awards. He continues to work and star in movies, uh, 34 in total, until his untimely death due to pancreatic cancer in 2009 at the age of 57. So if we're thinking about people whose careers are really launched by the outsiders, Swayze is definitely one of them. And in the the late 80s, early 90s, he is really a pretty huge star. Um, so, you know, again, we talk about the casting in this movie and Swayze is somebody who really goes on to to... to huge things after um after the outsiders so as may we are running out of time but we have to talk about who won the five um so i have some possible nominations basically this is almost everybody who appears <laughs> here uh we have ralph macchio as johnny uh c thomas hall as pony boy neither of them has won a five yet we have rob Lowe as soda pop we have patrick swayze as dairy Leaf Garrett is Bob. Darren Dalton is Randy Anderson. We can throw the Marquettes in there if we want because that song saves this movie <laughs> um, along with the other one. I, I actually think, yeah, I think those those two songs, um, yeah. you know, so I, I think we can also say, and we could say this on most of these episodes, who lost the five is Carmine Coppola because <laughs> like taking his music out made this movie materially better. Yeah. So, so who do you think? I, I have a. I could go a couple directions here. Um, I can. I can narrow that list down if you want me to. To the people I think are real, real runners in this. But uh, who do you? What do you think? It's kind of hard. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning more towards Patrick Swayze because I feel like in that scene he's really good. He is. He's great. He's really he, good. He, he definitely pops in there. Yeah. He has a kind of energy to it. The other thing I noticed about that scene is that. All three of them really are working hard in that scene to do the accents. Yeah. Like like it definitely feels like like South. It definitely feels like Oklahoma, mm-hmm. you know. And I I wonder if Swayze's bringing a little bit more of that because he's again from closer to that area and yeah. if the others are 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 acting against that more cuz I know it's like Rob Lowe has more of an accent than I notice later and definitely Pony Boy's accent kind of comes and goes. Yeah. Um yeah, I was thinking Swayze uh, I was thinking we could throw the Marquettes in there if we want. And then I honestly, because he's not going to last literally much longer, <laughs> he's in very little of this, but I actually think Leaf Garrett's really good in this too. It's, it's, there, there's, yeah. very, there's very little, but like he has a kind of added, like it's not in his spoken stuff more than just every time you see him. He's, he just has a real like yeah punchable face you know like which is what you, which is what this is going for right He's, yeah so 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 i i don't think he wins this but i want to like um elevate yeah. his nomination here it's kind of sad because like he's honestly really good in the movie but he's in so little of it and a lot of it is kind of like not lines that he delivers well it's like the silent background it, acting he's really good at yeah i i think if there was more of him in this he would get less good yeah. Is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to point him out here because, again, he's he's not going to be in this movie much longer. Yeah. Spoiler alert to what happens in the next <laughs> five minutes. Uh, so, who, so who you want to give this to? I think Patrick Swayze. I'm good with Swayze. And I know yeah. we've, we've had this run of our deep dive people being the winners, but I'm kind of picking it that way too. I'm trying to find somebody who pops in that five minutes. But mm-hmm. I think, I think that's, that's an excellent choice. I think it's the right choice. 
Um, I'm curious to see what we think of Swayze later on in the movie because he's yeah. gonna the back part of this movie he becomes a real central character. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we get to see a little early flash of him here. I do think he's particularly great in this. And it's interesting because like his character and both in this movie. When I think of him, it's like that's the scene I think about. Like I think that's the best scene. Again, both of him as an actor and actually like the character, even in the book, like that's mm-hmm. the scene I think about. So I kind of don't really remember what he's like the other part of the movie. Yeah, I'm curious to 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 the back half of this movie is a little bit uh, foggier to me than, than yeah. the, the front part. So um so yeah. Well, Esme, this was great. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, Listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey thus far. We've made it to the 35-minute mark of the movie. So we're, you know, we're over a quarter of the way done with this uh, with this film at this point, with this project at this point. Um, If you are interested in what we're talking about, if you have comments, if you think we're wrong about Patrick Swayze (laughs) or we're wrong about Leif Garrett or we're wrong about Carmine Coppola, if you want to defend the Carmine Coppola score to the 83 cut of this film, I'm, I'm here for that. I want to hear it. I, I disagree, but I want to hear it. Email us, channel3900 at gmail.com. That is all the time that we have. We will be back next week with minute 35 to minute 40. Until then, stay gold. Stay gold.